1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have a lot to cover this morning, uh, that should not surprise you, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as you get there, let me pray for us, Lord God, I do ask that you would show us Christ this morning, God, that we would see the gospel, I pray Lord that through your Holy Spirit, may he who has ears hear this morning. God, may you help us as a congregation uh, to hear the warning from this scripture. And may the covenant members of this church uh, take notice of it and and see the gravity of it, Lord, I ask. We love you. Um, You do reign forever. And uh, boy, that is good news, God. It's good news. And uh, I look forward to the songs that we will sing one day together going to be good. It's your name we pray. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 3, let me catch us up if you're visiting with us, if you've missed a couple of weeks. Uh, Paul has just been, um, it's been lashing the Corinthians uh, for their arrogance and their pride and their division. Uh, over who has the better presentation of the word, over the, uh, the mixture of the Greek uh, philosophy with uh, the Christian faith and have, have fallen into the trap that it's who sounds better and who is better and uh, which leader do we follow and all those things uh, which we almost would laugh at if it wasn't still occurring today uh, within the church. Uh, as we battle uh, about who we're going to follow. Uh, And Paul, um, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, just rakes them over the coals uh, and reminds them that the the gospel, the truth of the gospel, is foolishness to those who are not believers. It, It makes no sense. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. The idea that the Messiah uh, is a crucified, bloody Jewish carpenter makes no sense at all. And it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit by opening people's eyes to the truth of the gospel that anybody can be saved. Then as he eases into chapter 3, he uh, again um, lashes at them uh, righteously in doing so that as long as they had been at this. Remember Paul, Paul, not Jason Williams, uh, not Wayne McKay, Paul had been with them for 18 months. I'm just going to assume that most of us would think if you spent 18 months with the Apostle Paul, you would come out of that 18 months more mature in Christ, right? I mean, wasn't that what you think? Not the Corinthians. <laughs> not the Corinthians. And Paul says, Even after me and Apollos, possibly the Apostle Peter as well, many godly people have sown into you, and all this time later, you are still on milk. And he's just raking them over the coals. There are so many other things you should be concerned with besides who do you follow? I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Cephas, and And then there's a group that says, well, we just follow Jesus, which actually wasn't what you would think it would be at all. And Paul has to just chastise them and shape them up um, because of his frustration with their lack of maturity. And then he reminds them 
that neither he, Paul, or Apollos or anybody else is anything. They are nothing more than servants. And Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered. But it is God and God alone who grows the church. And we um, have lost sight of that concept. Just a quick refresher. We still think, and all you have to do is log on to the internet and type in Church Growth Conference. And you will have pages after pages after pages of people telling you how to grow the church. And most of them are just terrible. And doesn't mean there's not some edification from some conferences, but by and large, they have boiled it down to this. If you have the right age worship guy, um, which we don't. <laughs> I love you, brother. And I wouldn't trade you for anything. <laughs> I can assure you that. If you have the right age worship guy and uh, the right kind of sanctuary, we're out. <laughs> And you have the, the right kind of lighting and, and the right kind of coffee and the right kind of visitor center and you have the right kind of logo and the right kind of motto and, and, and all this stuff works and it's fun and it's entertaining, then God will grow your church. And here's the deal. You will grow. But rarely will you grow with disciples. And Paul is just making sure these Corinthians understand that. And then in verse 9, he reminds them, For we are God's fellow workers, and you, Corinthians, you, the local church in Corinth, are God's field, an agricultural term. And then he shifts to you are God's building, using an architectural term. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. <clears throat> Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, and wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Mm. About 10 years ago, McAllister's Deli here in Longview uh, went through a massive remodel. I know that because my brother uh, ran McAllister's Deli here in Longview for about, I don't know, about 15 years or so. Um, it's actually the number one, or it was then. Uh, he's not there anymore, so it's probably not true anymore, but it was then. <laughs> Uh, the number one McAllister's in the nation, if you can believe that, as far as sales and everything. Anyway, they were going to do an extensive remodel. They completely gutted the entire place, ripped out everything, uh, and basically redid the whole thing. And I went by, it was about a 12, 14 day uh, time, and 
I drove up, and in the parking lot, there was nothing but contractors. Trucks backed up all kinds of way, storage compartments, and, and all kinds of power cords and, and air cords. Everything in the world pulled through all the open doors, and then there was people coming in and out with construction and masks, and, and everything was just being completely gutted. And I walked in there to see my brother. just wanted to see how it was going. We talked for a few minutes, and, and uh, he looked at me, and he said, I need you to know there are a tremendous amount of stupid people who live in Longview, Texas. <laughs> now, if you happen to be one of the stupid people that I'm about to tell the sto- story about, I want you to know that it was John who said that, not me, um, your pastor. But anyway, I said, what are you talking about? He said, it has been like this for days. There is no counter. There are no tables and we have people who come in here every day. They walk in, they look around, and they go, can I get a potato salad? <laughs> no. And they're like, really? No, there's no kitchen. And I was like, that's not true. And he said, oh, here comes one right now. And I went, no way. And here comes a very uh, well-put-together individual. Um, and they walk in, and they look around. They see there's no counter, and they go, um, any chance I could get a turkey and cheese and maybe a sweet tea? <laughs> My brother just looked at me, and I, I looked at him, and he went, uh, no, we're, we're completely remodeling. <laughs> yeah, it looks that way. <laughs> yeah, it does. And he left, and my, wife, or my brother looked at me, and he said, stupid people. <laughs> And he said, and they drive cars. And I was like, I know. And they vote. Move right along. And I said, well, that's just not people stupid. The people are just not paying attention. And we have said that before. How many of y'all have ever honked at somebody sitting at a red light? Keep your hands up. How many of y'all have ever been honked at because you were, uh huh? How many of y'all have ever pulled into a Chick fil A on a Sunday? Past all the empty parking spots, which is never the case, Chick-fil-A pulled into the drive-thru and said, hello. <laughs> we are not people who pay attention. And that's generally the case. Now, at the end of the day, making mistakes like that, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, obviously, it hurts our pride a little bit. I'm sure if you drove off from that Chick-fil-A, you did a quick look around to make sure no one was watching. Uh, my middle brother works for a company that works on ATM machines, and often on Sundays he's working on the machine next door to Chick-fil-A, and he sends my brother our text, two people in the drive-thru. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's mind-boggling. But it normally doesn't cause that big of a deal. But depending on what you are doing uh, or what kind of job you have, uh, mistakes can be rather costly. Like, I don't think you want your heart surgeon to have a bad day, to not be paying attention. And how many of y'all want your pilot upon landing to just not be having his best day? Like, we don't want that to happen because we recognize that the more critical the job is, a mistake can equal death. But I would tell you that there is no greater and more important job than building a local church. These consequences from doing it wrong are eternal consequences. 
And it should not be taken lightly. I remember when I was discussed replanting the church I grew up in, people was like, well, that sounds like a no-brainer. You, you want to pastor again? And that church thing sounds like, hey, you've never planted a church. <laughs> this is a hard undertaking. And our text this morning indicates that you can build wrongly. You can build wrongly. And that we must pay careful attention to how we build. Paul has given us two um, uh, pictures of the local church. Uh, one is a field and the next is a building. And Paul uses this idea of the church. And you just need to understand the context because we may challenge some things that you may have grown up believing. But understand the context. He's speaking to the gathered church in Corinth and he says you are the building and Paul says I am the master builder I am the the skilled builder I have am the one who planted I have laid the foundation for this church in Corinth and you may ask yourself what is the foundation well he clearly states that in verse 11 he says for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And if you have been with us through the first two and a half chapters, that is the Christ who was crucified, crucified on the cross, of which the message of the cross is power, and the message of the cross is also foolishness for those who do not believe. Because unless the Holy Spirit of God opens the eyes of unbelievers, they will never see the beauty of the cross. You've got to understand this. I'm, I'm pulling a Columbo on you right now. I'm going to walk you through this. The only way, the only way that people come to faith in Christ is because the Holy Spirit initiates that beginning. It's the only way it happens. Now, we can debate all day long theologically about your soteriology, about whether or not they can resist or not resist. That's, that's fine. Take me out for coffee, whatever. But here's what we do know. Scripture's clear as a bell. Unbelievers without the Holy Spirit believe the cross is foolishness. But when the, when the scales are taken off our eyes, do you remember when they were taken off yours? And you saw the cross. You understood. And that is the foundation of the church. And it is upon this foundation that Paul is building this church and someone else is building the church, which I would argue is a, um, a reference to Apollos and the other leaders who are building on it, including the ones that may have been left in charge of the church. Uh, the very ones who have been bickering and divided themselves over which leader to follow. They've already lost how they're supposed to build the church. They think they need to build it based on who they're going to follow. And Paul's already lashed them pretty good on that one. And so he's going to continue with his instruction to these leaders and to this church that it's not going to be a methodology as much as it's going to be about building upon the right foundation. And Paul 
is most concerned about what they are building, as all of us would be if you spent 18 months pouring your life out into a group of people, only to get word sometime later that they are divided and are bickering and are arguing about things. And especially when it's about, should they follow you or should they follow Apollos? Oh, by the way, which Paul never chastises Apollos. We don't say him saying that Apollos was wrong about anything. This church is trying to decide between two people who seem, as best we can tell, to be pursuing the gospel. They've just gotten into personality conflicts and who should we follow. And so he has um, definitely illustrated his concern for what they are building on this foundation. They have clearly diverted They're teaching from the foolishness of the gospel and the folly of the cross, and they have moved toward a world's idea of wisdom. They've allowed that Greek philosophy to move in. The great communicators of the town, if whoever speaks better should be the person in charge, and they have traded the bloody image of the cross for an intelligent, more enlightened, and more appealing Argument. They have traded the power of the cross for the powerless words of well-spoken men. And Paul has told them they are building the church with the wrong materials. It is not gold, silver, and precious stones of the gospel and solid doctrine, but instead wood, hay, and straw of worthless worldly appeal. It is crucial for us as a young church, three years old, to get this idea. It is possible to lay the foundation as Christ and as the gospel. And that's hard, by the way. Um, I wish you could have been with the elders and several other, other, others of us as we replanted this church. We spent a great deal of time making sure that all these things, these doctrines and things were healthy and solid and the foundation was Christ. It takes a lot of hard work to lay the proper foundation. But I need you to understand something. You can start off building a church with the foundation of the gospel and Jesus Christ and yet go terribly wrong afterwards. You can build a building that does not reflect the foundation. And that's what Paul is most concerned about. You need to hear this. You can be a bad builder as a pastor. You can be a bad builder as a pastor. You can be a bad builder as a Bible teacher. You can be a bad builder as a life group leader. You can be a bad builder as an elder. A bad builder who happens to be a deacon or a nursery worker or a youth worker. A bad builder who happens to be on the worship team. Or you can be a bad builder who happens to be on a church staff. We can literally lay the right foundation And we can build the wrong building if we are not paying careful attention. And it is happening all around us. And listen, covenant members, it can happen here if we do not pay careful attention to what we are doing. 
you need to understand that verses 10 through 17 are not speaking to individuals about their individual bodies being the temple of God as much as it is speaking to the corporate group of believers who are building the local church. Now, some of you will say, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought that we were told that the temple of God is our bodies. I heard that in VBS. I know that to be true, and that would be correct. And Paul is going to use that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but that is not what he is saying here in chapter 3. He's speaking to this gathered group of people, this church in Corinth, and he is saying that they, you are the temple of God. You are building something Upon the foundation. It's important for us to see that in verses 16 and 17, that the Greek there is plural for you. It's not speaking to an individual, but to the group. And I would love to run off on a rabbit trail, as you have heard me say before. I'm going to resist, but I am going to state what the rabbit trail would be titled if I were to run down it, which I will not do. And here's what I would say. You are not called to be on a mission by yourself. You are not called to be on a mission by yourself. All of the New Testament, when it comes to the building of a local body, speaks to individuals coming together, using their gifts together, because here's the newsflash. Are you ready? You ain't that hot. (laughs) You're not that good. You don't have all the gifts. You can't do it on your own. If I was a single pastor, if we did not have a plurality of elders, and I was the pastor and Lucas was not here, this room would be so badly disorganized. It would be like beanbags on the floor. I'd be like, you got chairs. What do y'all? I mean, there's no organization of skills on me at all. My gift is to preach and lay out the vision. And there are other elders who come in and do the other parts that are intricate to the building of the church. And every one of you in here, who, if you are a believer, you have been given a gift. I told you I wasn't going to go on the trail. We're here. You have been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. Do you know why? To use in a local church. But here's why. Because the church needs you. Because God gifted you. I don't care if you're a nursery worker or a worship leader. Every single one of those pieces matter. They matter. And God's given you gifts to teach and preach and encourage. There's all kinds of gifts. I'll jump back off that. But you are not called to do this by yourself. But what we do need to know, that if we are all called to be a part of a local church, and clearly Paul is speaking to that in Corinthians He wants us to know that we must then build very carefully. We must pay very careful attention because we can actually, and he's telling us, we can actually get the foundation right. We can can lay the foundation and go, look at the foundation. It looks amazing. And then we can roll in the supplies to build the church and they can all be the wrong supplies. And we can build a worthless building. We can build such a worthless building that just as the efforts of the Corinthians were going at this point, that we can build a building not with precious stones and gold and silver. 
The Corinthians were battling on who to follow. They were arguing and dividing themselves. They were creating divisions among this local church. And they were not moving into maturity. They were not going on to solid food. They were still on milk, which Paul was shocked to see, shocked to hear about. And their failure to build right, these leaders and their actions, all of their building that's occurring right here is building the church with wood, hay, and straw, not with precious stones and gold and silver. And that kind of work will burn up when tested by the fire of accountability on Judgment Day, when we will stand before the Lord and give an account for what we did with our lives, even every word we've spoken. God help those of us who talk a lot, amen? But in this context, we will give an account of what we did in building the local church. Can you imagine all of us giving sacrificially to this church, working tirelessly, expending energy and time and money and have meetings and making plans and working on those plans and designing plans and going on mission trips and helping the poor and on and on and on and doing all these things that we think are great and good only to see that all of that work burns up before the Lord on judgment day. Because it's worthless. I've grown weary of people telling me that the Lord always rescues his church or God won't let a church fail. Let me help you understand something. If you're, thought, if you're talking about universally, the church, all of the redeemed, that answer is absolutely yes. If you're saying local churches won't fail, then why do they fail they're closing by the dozens every week across the U.S. Fly over to Europe sometime. They're closed. Bad churches built badly, even on the right foundation, can fall apart. And we can work hard in this church and yet waste our efforts if we build the wrong kind of building. What would our faces look like if we show the Lord, this is Sovereign Life Fellowship, Lord. Here it is and all the work that we did for your kingdom. God says, let me test that. And it goes up in smoke. You ever seen wood or hay or straw burn? You ever thrown, ever thrown hay on a fire? This will not be a long process. It can happen rather quickly. It burns up very quickly. And in just a few moments, there is nothing left. Just some ashes and smoke. You throw gold into a fire, even if it's hot enough, it may melt it. Steel gold. Here's the answer to the question. Do you want melted gold or solid gold to be brought to your house? 
Here's the answer. I don't care. Because <laughs> it's all gold. And you would say, well, how can, that, how can that happen? What kind of work do we need to avoid? What kind of materials do we need to make sure we don't build with? I'm so glad you asked. If the foundation is Christ, and it is, then every wall and every door and every window and every light and every pipe and every shingle should have in its DNA Christ crucified. It should have the gospel. It should be saturated with that. Meaning, and here's what I mean, people come to me all the time and say, what kind of programs does your church have? And I always say, I hope not very many. Meaning that every ministry that we have, every service, every gathering, every Bible study, every worship service, every youth get-together, every visit to a hospital, every visitor greeted, every single action we take must have all over it the aroma of Christ. Anything else and you're wasting your time. Now... I am not saying, so I will avoid the post-sermon meetings. I am not saying that methodologies do not matter or that methodologies don't change. Clearly, they do uh, in a host of variable ways where you're planting the church, where you're meeting at. I get that argument. I understand that. I get it. What I am saying and so whatever your methodologies are, they better point to Christ. It better be saturated with the gospel. It better be saturated that we follow a crucified Savior. That's what it better be. Otherwise, whatever you're building is a bad church. And churches are all over the place that are struggling with these kind of things. And listen, there are bad churches that I believe, when they began, had the foundation right. They started off correctly, and yet, and yet every meeting they have, and, and every sermon preached, and, and, and every class taught is not covered in the aroma of Christ crucified the the gospel dna is not there the cross is not the center of the message and the call to take up your cross and die to yourself in order to be a disciple is not uttered because i don't know about that i don't know about you but but take up your cross and die to your own desires and live for god are not always what i want to do Instead, these churches, the center of the message is not God. The center focus of their services is not God, it is you. It's how you can be more successful. It's about getting your best life now. Yeah, I said it. As if our life afterwards is bad. Like, can I just help you out with something? If this is my best life now, I want a refund. Amen? Anyone with me? 
Like, if I get to heaven and God, and it's terrible, and I go, well, what's up with this? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, heaven was down there. I'll be like, ha, ha, what? If to live is Christ and to die is gain, then everything I do while here as a believer and everything I do as a church must be magnifying to Christ. He must be the focus of every gathering. There are churches in which the entire service, the entire church is not about glorifying God. It is not about making much of God in the gospel, but instead is making much of you. I actually saw an ad yesterday that says, come to our church where you always leave encouraged. (laughs) No preaching happening there. Because if you leave church every Sunday encouraged and not convicted, then someone's not preaching the gospel to you. These churches... They don't spend their staff time poring over scriptures week to week to calibrate their churches, but instead they look to programs and statistics, and God forbid, they start looking at other churches, the worst thing you can do. It's like looking at someone else's golf swing and trying to copy it. If you don't play golf, that made no sense to you. But it's a disaster. What makes them work so well? How come they are growing so rapidly? Let's use their stuff. And they debate back and forth about the right lighting and the right kind of music. And, and I love this one, relevant teachings. I had someone tell me once, not in this church, because we would have said something. But anyway, they said, I hope your sermon's fresh this morning. What does that mean? Well, I, well you know, we want a fresh word. So there's stale Bible verses? Well, you know what I mean. I'm like, no, I don't know what you mean. I have no idea what you're talking about. They look at relevant teachings. We got to make sure the got to sure, make sure the teachings are relevant. Making sure the experiences for the visitor is excellent. It's all about the experience. Like we're in sales again, which I'm in, and ugh, I just don't understand that. And the ads of the church don't sound like they're following the suffering path of a crucified Savior. No, no, no. They use words I looked up. They, they use fun, entertaining, relevant, exciting, and meaningful. That sounds like a resort I want to go visit. Amen? We know this. That's what they have in mind. Because every design of the church and of the service and of the programs and the music service is not about God, but about making you happy. It's about making you feel comfortable. They want, to, they want you to leave enlightened, never convicted or uncomfortable. The word is rarely preached, but it is read. Culturally relevant themes with cute titles are announced, and they throw in a few verses to make it sound like a good sermon. Sin is never confronted. The darkness of the human heart is never uncovered. The call to holiness is never issued. And the gospel is trivialized to repeat this prayer after me. Instead of a call to repentance and discipleship and holiness. But you need to understand some things here. You say, well, why aren't you talking about other churches again? Because listen, there is a way to build it wrongly. 
There's a way to build this thing wrong. I don't want to do that. But the reason why it happens is, as we heard in the older reading, because it works well for church growth. Now, before we have visitors who were not here last week, so I'm going to say this because I said it last week. I'm not saying that a church is healthy because it's small and that big churches are unhealthy because they're big. It's not what I'm saying at all. That's stupid. There are great, wonderful, healthy churches that preach the gospel and proclaim uh, the glories of our king uh, who are large churches. But as we know from 2 Timothy chapter 4, people love to surround themselves with teachers who tell them what they want to hear. And I told, I, I told, I think I told Keith and Lucas a few weeks ago, I think we ought to do, I wanted to do like a, I wanted to like do a prosperity thing for a while where we just preach prosperity and all that kind of wonderful stuff and do it. Joey just shook his head at me. <laughs> just kidding, Joey. Anyway, we're, we, we want to preach all that, do it for like six months and build the church up. And then we would do like a bait and switch. Ah, right there. And you, but the elders voted that down. Anyway, but you can do this. And it draws people in, and, 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 it, and it feels good. And listen, it feels good as a pastor, because I can go to a pastor's conference, and the first question they ask every pastor when you meet a pastor is, how many people you got in church? And, that's what, and everyone lies. We have 80. I'm like, oh, like 120. I mean, we all. We, I mean, it's terrible. I know. We're awful. But It works. It attracts people, and the thinking is this. If, if we make it easy, if, if we make it comfortable, if we can dumb it down, then, then we can share the gospel. And here's the problem. The gospel never gets shared. And on top of that, we think that if they're in the right setting and it's comfortable and they've had the right coffee and their kids are taken well care of, that somehow that makes the gospel more palatable, except all of Scripture said the gospel is folly. Unless the Holy Spirit does something. So instead of spending all your time doing that, let's seek the face of God and ask God to do things for the people who walk into our service. That's what we should be doing. John Piper said it this way, what is fashionable for the moment may not be for eternity. And I would even go a step further, probably isn't for eternity. Many times these, these churches at one point in their history, were gospel-saturated and Christ-exalting. Something happens over time. Usually a pastor comes in who is weak on the purposes of the church. He slips in, and he sounds good, and he does good. And leaders and elders aren't paying enough attention. And slowly but surely, the church drifts away from the foundation of Christ. And if you drift from a foundation, you will find yourself on sand. And all of that work will burn up. And here is this terrible and frightening truth on top of all that. There will be many who have said in those churches that were gospelless, that will miss heaven and go to hell. This is not a game. People's lives are at stake. The eternal souls 
are at stake. Marriages need help. People need to be rescued from difficult things. Brokenness is real, and they don't need the right cup of coffee and the right song. They need the gospel. And if you're a believer and you're there, you know what you need? You need to be reminded of the gospel. That's why Paul spends so much time talking about it over and over and over again. I'm way past time, and I, as you know, don't care. <laughs> this is important for us as a church. Well, my notes are almost done. May we never be a church that is more interested in building our brand. May we never be a church that's interested in building our brand and our, our name and our impact and influence more than we desire to build the kingdom of God on this earth. Verses 14 through 15, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Here's the deal. These are for believers. You can be a believer and do this wrongly. And I believe this passage is clear. It teaches that you will have, all of us, I believe, will have some things that will burn up and at this moment, when you see the work that you thought you were doing that was good, burn up before the Lord, I believe, as the scripture says, you will suffer loss. You suffer loss. And I believe that that loss, although we are eternally in heaven and full of joy, somehow that loss has some meaning, it, maybe it's less capacity to worship. I, I don't know, I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much, but clearly there is a loss that is suffered. Maybe it's simply that you look and you say, I have wasted much of my life. And then, if it does not burn up, according to 1 Corinthians 9 and 2 Timothy 4 and 1 Thessalonians 2 and 1 Peter 5 and James 1, that we receive crowns and rewards. And I have no idea how those really work, and I would say most everybody else does not either, I don't believe, but somehow we get a reward. And then in verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, and if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, holy and you are that temple. I believe this speaks to a second kind of person. The first is a believer who doesn't do everything that they should. They don't build with the right materials. They don't make sure that everything they do is gospel-saturated when it comes to this local church. Instead, they build with wood, hay, and straw, and it burns up and they suffer loss. But as the pastor says, they themselves will be saved. But the second person, I believe, is there are those who will go directly after the foundation. They will say that this foundation of Christ is the wrong foundation to build on. That this Jesus that y'all speak about, that, that can't be the real Jesus. This, this, Jesus would never do that. And Jesus would never do And they slowly but surely, they chip away at Christ himself. And whenever you go after Christ, whenever you say, that is not what you need, that is not evidence of a believer. And that is evidence of the enemy who lurks among us. And make no doubt, as this church continues to grow, they will attempt to slip in. And we must pay careful attention. 
But God says, I've got this too. So I'll destroy those who attempt to destroy my church. So I hope that we would build this local church on the foundation of the crucified, resurrected, victorious King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And may everything that we build be a reflection of the good news we preach. May the gospel always stay prominent at Sovereign Life Fellowship. And may our doctrines that we believe and that we teach be found in the truth of Scripture and point us to Christ. Any ministry we conceive, any program we attempt to roll out, better have this question asked of it. How does this program or this ministry help us see Jesus better? And if we can't come up with that answer, then we avoid having that program. Covenant members, you're responsible. Those of you in the covenant membership process, you will be responsible to help make sure that we build carefully. We must all hold each other accountable no matter what happens to us. And we must never lose sight of the gospel, of preaching the word and calling out sin and proclaiming the holiness of God and the wrath of God that will be poured out on sinners and that Jesus is the only way out. Then and only then can we stand before our Lord and watch our energy and our time and our money and our efforts that we spend on this church go through the fire and emerge on the other side, with as little burned off as possible. We will not get everything right because we are sinful people, but we can strive for the truths of the Gospels and not get everything wrong. And here is the Gospel. The Gospel is that you were born into sin. Nobody had to teach you how to sin. You sin naturally. And that sin separated you from a holy, holy, holy God. And yet, despite your sin and your full rebellion toward that God, God loved you. And he sent Christ to take your place on the cross, to take the punishment that you deserved. And for those who repent, who look at the direction they've been going and say, I no longer want to go in that direction, I want to go in this direction toward Jesus. For those who repent and believe in Christ, they will be saved. And so people say, well, how do I come to know Christ? How do I get saved? Here's simply what the Bible says over and over and over and over again. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And people say, well, how do I know if I become a believer? And here's why. Your life will never be the same again. You may struggle and you may fail, but it'll never be the same again. I've gone over my time extensively, but I believe this is important for our church. If you ever hear me preach, if you ever hear me phone one in, I expect there to be many men standing in the back, and ladies too. And you say, don't ever do that again or we will find us another pastor. (laughs) And the elders will probably have beaten you to me already and they will have beaten me by the time you get to me. But it is up to you to make sure that this church builds correctly on the right foundation. Don't follow me blindly. Don't follow the elders blindly. Follow the Bible and the Bible alone. As I've gone over, we're not going to have our typical time of reflection. I would just like to um, tell you that if you ever have uh, questions about the gospel or wanting to come and share Christ or talk about Christ or what it looks like to be saved, I'm always available to you. 
um, always here to help. Um, and our elders are always available. I hope that you will be here next week. It is an extremely important week for us. I will still be preaching. Um, and, but we're going to talk about elders one more time. And then we will install three future leaders of this church. Few, three future pastors of this church who are to care for your souls. And I want you to make sure you're here for that. If you're visiting with us today, find Matt in the back. He's back there drinking coffee. Uh, after me just ripping coffee. Uh, anyway, uh, he's back there drinking coffee. Uh, he would love to share with you a little bit about our church and give you a visitor's bag. Um, and then let me give you a benediction, and I'll let Keith come up here, and he'll sing a little bit. If you want to stay around, you can sing a little bit. Uh, otherwise, you can head out and find them in the back. But uh, let me read Jude 18 through 25 to you. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions, and it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And when that gets difficult and when it gets hard and when we're not able to do it, may you be reminded of this. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And the church says, Amen. I love you folks. You are just...